Hello, and welcome to the night sky for April. This is Andrew Jacob, and I'm the curator at Sydney Observatory, part of Sydney's Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. Come on a tour of the night sky with me. Learn what stars and constellations are visible, where to find the planets, and what special events are happening overhead this month. To make the most of this guide, you should begin by gathering a few items together. Firstly, you will need a star map. You can download a free one from Sydney Observatory's website, where you'll find it in the Astronomy Resources section under Monthly Sky Guides. The star map will show you what stars and constellations are visible in the night sky this month, and I'll be referring to that star map in this guide. As well as the star map, a torch with a red LED, or one covered with a few layers of red cellophane, will be very useful. The red light will allow your eyes to remain dark-adapted during the evening, yet still allow you to read your star map. Finally, a pair of binoculars or a telescope can be very handy. They're not essential for following this guide, but if you do have them, they will help you see a few of the fainter objects more easily and in more detail. Now that we have our equipment together, we need to know a few directions and also how to measure angles across the sky. You can find the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west, from a compass app on your mobile device, or just remember, of course, that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And if the sun is setting at your right shoulder, then you must be facing south. Another useful direction to remember is the zenith. This is the point directly overhead. To find your way around the night sky, it helps to know how to measure angles across it. It mo makes no sense to say, for instance, that one star is two centimetres to the left of another or that a shooting star left a trail half a metre long. Instead, we should use angular measurements. The distance around the horizon, from north through east, south, west and back to north, is 360 degrees. And from the horizon, vertically upwards to the zenith overhead, is 90 degrees. But how do we measure smaller angles? Well, despite the great variety of human form... Our fingers, hands and arms are all pretty much in the same proportions. If you hold your hand out at arm's length and stretch out your little finger and thumb to make a hand span, they span an angle across the sky of about 20 degrees. A fist held out at arm's length makes an angle across the sky of about 10 degrees. And a finger held up at arm's length is about one degree or twice the width of the moon or the sun. I'll be using these measurements during this guide. So a handspan at arm's length is 20 degrees, a fist is about 10 degrees, and a single finger is about one degree across the sky. One final point to note before we get started. The Earth rotates, and so the sky changes hour by hour. My descriptions of the constellations and stars in this guide fit the time of one to two hours after sunset. This month, we return to the long nights of autumn following the end of daylight saving. The light nights are long, but not too cold for good observing. But get some warm clothes on and a beanie and grab a blanket to lie on. Just as we found in January, the best constellations are high overhead. Lie down with your feet facing southwest, just to the left of where the sun recently set. Look straight up towards the zenith. 
With your feet pointing southwest, most of the constellations above will appear upright rather than upside down, as they often do from the southern hemisphere. If you are in a dark location and there's no moon up, you will see the Milky Way, the edge-on view of our own galaxy, stretching from the southeastern horizon on your left, passing overhead through or close to the zenith, and reaching the northwestern horizon on your right. If you're near a city or large town and light pollution affects your view, the Milky Way won't be easily visible, but you will still be able to see a bright band of light and stars stretching across this part of the sky from the southeast to the northwest. On your star map, the Milky Way is indicated by the dot-dashed line spanning the width of the map. You will need to align your star map with the real sky. Simply hold your map up in front of you and tilt it to the right so that the label SW, for southwest of course, is at the bottom and lined up with your feet. Your map is now aligned with the stars overhead and is ready to assist you with the next part of this guide. We begin with the pointer stars on your far left. On your star map, these are clearly labelled near the SE or southeast horizon. These two bright stars appear almost side by side. The brighter of the two pointers, the one on the left, is called Alpha Centauri, and it's the third brightest star in the night sky. The right-hand pointer is Beta Centauri, and it's the tenth brightest star. Later, we will search for all ten brightest stars in the night sky. Alpha Centauri is a fascinating star. Although it looks like a single star to your eye, it is in fact a group of three, with two of them too close together for your eye to separate, and the third too faint to detect. Through a medium-sized telescope, two of the stars are visible. Both are very similar in size and colour to our Sun. These two stars orbit about each other once every 80 years or so. The third star is called Proxima Centauri, and it's the closest star to the Earth after our Sun. Unfortunately, Proxima Centauri is a faint red dwarf star and is easily visible only with large telescopes. It orbits the first two stars. Proxima Centauri is about 4.2 light years away, or approximately 42 million million kilometres. Recently, a planet was detected in orbit around Proxima Centauri. This makes it the closest planet beyond the eight in our own solar system. It's a very tempting target to send the first interstellar spacecraft to, but that's for the distant future. A moment ago, I mentioned light years. What is a light year? Well, it's a measure of distance, even if it sounds like a time. If you have a torch with you, shine its light into the sky for a moment. The light from your torch travels incredibly fast. In just one second, it goes almost 300,000 kilometres. That's seven and a half times around the Earth, or almost the distance to the Moon. 
In fact, in just one and a quarter seconds, your torchlight would reach the moon, 380,000 kilometres away. In eight and a half minutes, the light would reach the sun, 150 million kilometres from Earth. After five hours, light from your torch would pass Pluto. And finally, after one year of time, your torchlight will have travelled one light year of distance. Yet, even here, we still haven't reached the next nearest star. Proxima Centauri, our closest star after the Sun, is about 42 million million kilometres away from us. Your torchlight would take about 4.2 years to reach it. So we can say that Proxima Centauri is about 4.2 light years away from Earth. This also means that we see Proxima Centauri, the star, as it was about 4.2 years ago. We were looking into the past to see everything in the universe. So a light year is simply a distance, and one light year is about 10 million million kilometres long. Now, let's get back to the night sky. We'll return to Alpha Centauri. If you draw an imaginary line from Alpha Centauri across to the right through Beta Centauri and onward, you'll reach the Southern Cross. I hope you recognise it, because it looks just like it does on the Australian flag. The Southern Cross is the best-known constellation in the southern skies. It's formerly known as Crux, its Latin name, but we've also labelled it Southern Cross on your star map. The Southern Cross is very useful, as it can help us find the direction of true south. Hold up your arm and measure the length of the long arm of the cross using two fingers, your pointer and little finger perhaps. Measure from the top star to the bottom one. Now, measure this distance three and a half times downwards, starting from the bottom, the brightest star of the cross. This description works if you're lying down with your feet facing southwest. And it may also help to close one eye as you measure. So after measuring three and a half times this distance, the point you end up at is called the South Celestial Pole, the South Pole of the Sky. It's the point in the sky about which all the stars are rotating. But there are no bright stars in this particular area. It's just an imaginary point in the sky, and it's labelled on your star map. Now, if you draw a line from the South Celestial Pole to the nearest point on the horizon, you've found the direction of true south on the ground. And from now on, you'll never need an app or a compass to find south, at least at night time. Returning to the cross, you'll notice, if you're in a dark site and the moon has set, a dark patch below the cross, or to its lower left side if the cross was upright. This is called the coal sack. It's a dark cloud of hydrogen gas and, mostly, carbon dust, blocking light 
from more distant stars. In fact, you'll notice many of these dark patches spread here and there along the Milky Way. They hold the raw material for making new stars. Here's something interesting you can do if you have a camera that allows you to leave the shutter open or an app that allows you to make star trail photographs. If you take a photograph of the sky facing south and include the south celestial pole and you leave your camera shutter open for 10 or more minutes, you'll find beautiful circular star trails in your photograph. This shows how the stars appear to rotate about the south celestial pole. It is, of course, the Earth which is actually rotating. Now let's move from the Southern Cross and turn our attention to the constellation of Orion the Hunter. He's over on your right towards the northwest horizon. So with the help of your star map, locate the three stars of Orion's belt. And Orion's belt is labelled on your map. From left to right, these are Alnitak, Alnilam and Mintaka. Turning your head to the right, you'll see just above these three belt stars, the star Betelgeuse. It's glowing orange-red, or sometimes a pale yellow colour. It's not that the star changes colour, more that your perception of the colour changes with the clarity of the atmosphere and your eye's adaptation to the dark. This enormous star represents Orion's shoulder. It's a red giant star coming to the end of its life. It's 425 light-years away, and it's hundreds of times larger than our sun. And yet, to your eye, it looks just like any other star. The stars are so far away that we can't see the physical size of any of them, except for the one star that's close to us, our sun. Just below Orion's belt is the bright star Rigel, one of Orion's knees. From Betelgeuse to Rigel is just over a full hand span, or about 20 degrees across the sky. Rigel is also at a late stage in its life cycle, although not as late as Betelgeuse. Rigel is about a thousand light years away, and its surface temperature is about 11,000 degrees Celsius. It's about twice as hot as the surface of our sun. Now, if Betelgeuse and Rigel form Orion's right shoulder and his left knee respectively, and you can see the stars of his belt, you should now be able to imagine the figure of a man, perhaps with the help of your star map. His head and shoulders are to the right. His body narrows to the three belt stars at his waist, and his legs stretch out to the left. Between Orion's legs, hanging from his belt, is Orion's sword. To your eye, this appears as a pair, or maybe three to some of you, fuzzy stars. Through binoculars, you'll see three pairs of stars, 
plus many more fainter ones. And the middle pair is surrounded by a faint hazy cloud. This cloud, or nebula, as astronomers call them, is the Orion Nebula. It's over 1,500 light-years away. It's also known to astronomers as M42. It's perhaps the most photographed object beyond our solar system and is a large cloud of mostly hydrogen gas which is producing new stars. The cloud is 15 light-years in diameter, and the stars you see embedded within it, with your binoculars, were formed from the collapsing hydrogen gas within the last million years or so. Now, Orion is a pivotal constellation. Its stars are guides pointing to many other interesting stars and constellations across the sky. If we extend the line of Orion's belt stars, one handspan, or 20 degrees, to the right, we come to an orange star amongst a V-shaped pattern of fainter stars. This is Taurus the Bull. The orange star is Aldebaran, the eye of the bull, and his head is the V-shape. In April, Taurus is close to setting in the west, and it may be difficult to identify. Returning to Orion's belt, we now follow the line of the belt to the left by about one handspan. We reach the brightest star in the sky, Sirius. Its name means scorching or brilliant, and you can see why. Sirius is also called the Dog Star because it's the brightest star in the constellation of Canis Major, the big dog in the sky. With help from your star map, you can identify the shape of the dog, the faithful hunting companion of Orion. Just above Sirius, a handspan plus four fingers width, is the bright star Procyon in the constellation of Canis Minor, the little dog. Procyon has a companion star a couple of fingers width to the right to help you recognize it. However, this constellation as a whole looks nothing at all like a dog. In fact, few of the constellations clearly resemble their name. Returning again to Orion, we now use his sword to direct us to our next destination. You might notice that Orion's sword points directly left towards the south celestial pole across the sky, and to the right, to the north. This is a very useful thing to remember when the Southern Cross is low in the sky or hidden by cloud. Following the direction of Orion's sword towards the south or the left, about three hand spans brings us underneath Canis Major and to a point above your feet where we reach another bright white star. If you have a good eye for colour, it would look pale golden in colour. This is Canopus. It's labelled on your star map. It's 205 light years away, and it's the second brightest star in the sky after Sirius. Canopus is one of the celestial navigation stars that have been used by ship's navigators for centuries. And appropriately, it's the brightest star in the constellation of Carina.
the keel of the ship in the sky. On your star map, you'll see the other parts of the ship, the sails or vela, the rear or poop deck, puppus, and the ship's compass, pixis. There's even a flying fish, volans, in this watery scene overhead. This ship, Carina, Vela, Puppus and Pixis, used to be one huge constellation called Argo Navis, the ship of the Argonauts. Now, the Argonauts, you may know, were mythological Greek heroes who accompanied the hero Jason on his quest to find the Golden Fleece. Now, this is not an easy ship to identify in the sky, so this is my observing challenge for April. Can you identify the whole of the ship? Keel, sails, rear deck, compass and all, in the sky. More easily identified is the false cross. This is an asterism or star shape, not one of the true 88 formal constellations. It lies on the border of Carina and Vela, taking in stars from both constellations. It's larger and fainter than the real Southern Cross, which lies further to the left. Below the False Cross and Carina, you'll notice, again, if you're in a dark site away from city lights and with no moon in the sky, two cloudy patches. These are the Large Magellanic Cloud, LMC on your map, and the Small Magellanic Cloud, the SMC. These two clouds are companion galaxies to our own Milky Way galaxy. But our galaxy is bullying and harassing these smaller companions, tearing off shreds of hydrogen gas. Their future is uncertain. They may either be absorbed in a distant future by the Milky Way, or perhaps they'll just pass on by. The small Magellanic Cloud is the lower of the two, if you're still lying down with your feet to the southwest. Just to its right is another bright star. This is Achenar, meaning the river's end. It's the star at the end of the constellation Eridanus, the river in the sky. Let's review what we've seen tonight. We begin from the southeast on your left and we'll travel along the Milky Way. First are the two pointer stars and then the Southern Cross. Moving northwards to the right, we pass the False Cross between Vela, the sails, and Carina, the keel of the ship. Then comes Canopus, the bright navigation star, and below it, the Magellanic Clouds and Achenar. Next along to the right is Canis Major and the brightest star, Sirius, followed by Orion the Hunter with his belt and sword. And then comes Taurus the Bull. What a grand sight. It's an even grander sight with binoculars. If you sweep the Milky Way, passing all the objects I've mentioned tonight, you'll discover in between hazy gaseous nebulae where stars are born 
sparkling clusters of young stars, and curious star patterns here and there. At first it seems overwhelming, but if taken in bite-sized chunks, month by month, there's a lifetime of observing to be done. But wait, there's more. Most of the brightest stars in the night sky are visible during April nights. Sirius, the dog star, is the brightest, followed by Canopus, the navigation star. Third brightest is Alpha Centauri, the brighter of the two pointer stars. Next are Arcturus, Vega and Capella, unfortunately none of which is visible on April evenings. But seventh is Rigel, Orion's knee. Next in line is Procyon in the Little Dog. Ninth is Achenar at the end of the River Eridanus. And finally, back across the sky, is Betelgeuse, Orion's shoulder, the tenth brightest star in the night sky. So that's seven of the ten brightest stars, all visible at once on autumn evenings. We haven't yet tried to find Gemini the Twins, or Cancer the Crab, or Leo the Lion in the northern sky, but we've covered a lot already, so I shall leave it to you with your new star map reading skills to identify these three zodiac constellations in the April evening sky. Anyway, looking for them would require moving and abandoning the comfy position you're in, so why not stay a while, contemplate the universe, and wait for a meteor or two. Let's have a look at the special events and highlights for this month. What are the special events and highlights for April 2020? Let me note that all the times I'm about to mention are in Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time, AEDT, or Australian Eastern Standard Time, as appropriate. Daylight saving in states where it's recognised comes to an end on Sunday, April the 5th at 3am put your clocks back one hour. For all the times I mention, please make the appropriate adjustments for your time zone and state where necessary. Let's start with the moon phases. We begin April with a first quarter moon on the very first day of the month at 9.21pm. Full moon is then on Wednesday the 8th at 12.35pm, followed by last quarter moon on Wednesday the 15th at 8.56am. And finally, we have a new moon on Thursday 23rd at 12.26pm. The moon is the brightest object in the night sky when it's up, no matter what phase it's in. It's well worth observing its changing phases or looking closely at the craters, planes and other features with binoculars or a telescope. But to get the best views of other astronomical objects, such as the Milky Way and the constellations, it's best to avoid moonlit hours. If the moon is between new and full, we call that waxing, wait for it to set before observing the Milky Way and the stars. If the moon is between full and new, or waning, observe before the moon rises. 
You don't really need a daily list of rise and set times. Just watch the moon for a few days and you'll soon learn to predict its behaviour. So this month, wait for the moon to set in the first and last weeks of the month. Otherwise, look for the Milky Way and the constellations in the hours before the moon rises. What planets are visible in April 2020? In the evenings this month, it's all Venus, shining brightly as the evening star above the western horizon every night. Venus orbits the sun closer than the Earth, so it shows phases, just like the moon. Sometimes it's a crescent-shaped, sometimes it's half-moon-shaped, and sometimes it's gibbous. But you need binoculars to see these phases. Venus also overtakes the Earth in its orbit, just like an Olympic runner on the inside track. In April, the planet is approaching Earth on its way to passing between us and the Sun. It does that in June, so that during the month it's growing larger and also more crescent-shaped. It's quite fascinating to watch it with binoculars for the month to see its changing phase and size. You can do this just as Galileo did in 1610 when he became the first person ever to see the phases of Venus with his newly constructed telescope. Venus is in the constellation of Taurus the Bull this month and on April 3rd and 4th it passes in front of a group of stars named the Pleiades or sometimes the Seven Sisters. They're a cluster of young stars. With binoculars, you may be able to see both the planet and the stars, although this may be a tricky observation, with both being in the bright evening twilight sky and also getting closer to the horizon. Nevertheless, give this a try on the 3rd and again on the 4th with your binoculars to see just how far Venus can move across the sky in only one day. Enough of Venus. What can we see in the morning sky? The morning planets this month are Mercury, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. In fact, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn are visible after 1am all month, but you'll have to wait till after about 5am to see Mercury. Mercury remains low in the east, rising shortly before sunrise. Even the moon can't help us locate Mercury this month, being just one day before its new phase, and therefore too thin a crescent to detect as it passes Mercury on the 22nd of April. Jupiter is much easier to find. It's the brightest of the three outer planets we see by eye. That's Jupiter, Saturn and Mars. Jupiter rises before midnight for most of the month and is the brightest object in the eastern sky, bar the moon, so it should be easy to spot. On the 15th, just to help, the last quarter moon sits just above Jupiter. Saturn is about five degrees below Jupiter in the eastern sky. 
but you may notice it's steadily moving closer to Jupiter during the month as these planets approach their very close conjunction coming up in December. Don't miss that in December. Saturn begins the month on April the 1st, side by side with Mars. The two planets are just two moon widths apart. Mars, of course, is the reddish one, the red planet, while Saturn looks slightly yellowish. After April the 1st, Mars steadily slips further towards the horizon each morning. On the 16th, the Moon sits between Saturn and Mars. Now we have another supermoon this month. You may be aware that a supermoon is a full moon that occurs very close in time to when the Moon is closest in distance to the Earth during the Moon's elliptical orbit about our planet. The actual definition is quite unclear and almost completely arbitrary. In any case, on Wednesday, April the 8th at 4.09am, the Moon is at its closest to Earth. We call that perigee. And it's at just 356,907 kilometres from Earth. And this is its closest perigee for the year. So this is the best supermoon of the year also. Just a few hours later, at 12.35pm, just after midday on April the 8th, the moon is full. However, it's later the same day for Australia when the moon actually rises. That's at 6 minutes past 6 for Sydney. It may look quite spectacular. But actually, I think any full moon rising over the horizon, perhaps reddened and maybe passing behind the clouds as it climbs, looks truly spectacular. Do you think it looks any larger tonight? What else is happening in April 2020? Betelgeuse, the shoulder of Orion, the dimming of Betelgeuse. Earlier, I said Betelgeuse, the red star that's Orion's shoulder, was the tenth brightest star in the sky. But that's true only on average. Betelgeuse, in fact, varies in brightness slightly. Sometimes it can brighten up to be the eighth brightest star, and at other times it dims to become the twelfth brightest. However, strangely, over this last summer, Betelgeuse has faded in a way it's never been seen to do before. And by mid-February, it became the 23rd brightest star in the sky. To anyone familiar with the constellation of Orion, the constellation did look a little strange. But now, since mid-February, Betelgeuse is brightening again. Its brightening is subtle and slow, But if you watch it once a week, for a few months, you'll notice its change, I think. Presently, it's about as bright as the stars of Orion's belt. But at at its brightest, it rivals Rigel, the knee of of Orion. Check your star map to identify these stars. April 12th is International Day of Human Spaceflight, sometimes called Yuri's Night, in celebration of the first human spaceflight. Take a moment to consider how far we've come in the past century. 
from the wooden canvas biplanes of 1920 to Yuri Gagarin's first orbit of Earth in 1961, Neil Armstrong's step upon the moon in 1969, and on to the verge of commercial space travel for everyone. Well, at first, at least for everyone wealthy enough. And that wraps up the special events for April 2020. An excellent companion to Sydney Observatory's monthly night sky guides is the annual Australasian Sky Guide by Dr Nick Lom. It's jam-packed with monthly night star maps and astronomical information, including rise and set times for the sun, moon and planets, plus tide times and a detailed look at our solar system and upcoming astronomical events. It's available from Sydney Observatory or the Mars Store, or you can purchase it online, for which additional costs apply. For more astronomical information, check Sydney Observatory's website and blogs, and keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And if you're in Sydney, visit the observatory in the Rocks area. Book in for a night tour to view the skies through our telescopes, or tour our exhibition for free and discover the history of Australian astronomy. And that brings to an end this night sky guide from Sydney Observatory and from me, Andrew Jacob. Thank you for listening, and I wish you clear skies until next time.